This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. To deal with the subject of prayer in church, because most of us have our preset ideas and most of us have been taught something and we've heard something and we've had some opinions develop in us concerning the subject of prayer through the years and most of us or some of us are well along in life so we're not babies anymore and so it's almost like is there anything new to say about it is there a way to approach it that's fresh that's challenging that's exciting and the answer to all that is yes the question is does the person who's trying to do that have the capability of doing it i guess we'll all figure out together whether or not what the answer to that question is but prayer as i was thinking about how to start i concluded that a great place to start with it is to say that like many other things in our faith, in our kingdom walk, in our relationship with God, like many other things, we do not need to get bogged down in the mud and the mire of religious rules and regulations. Now, some of y'all were not listening, so I'm going to say that again. Like many other things in our faith, in our kingdom walk, in our relationship with God, as it relates to prayer, we do not need to get bogged down in a lot of religious rules and regulations. It would be a mistake, in my opinion, to try to formulate a list of rules when it comes to prayer. The reason I say that is because if you examine prayer in the scriptures, you're going to find that there is this vast array of types of prayers, of the subjects of prayers, of the length of prayers, of the spirit behind the prayers in terms of where are we coming from? What's the reason for the prayer? There seem to be really no rules that are there to dictate to us how prayer has to be. So if you have gotten stuck on one structure as it relates to prayer, I'm going to try to help you break out of that. Because there's a lot of freedom in understanding that prayer is most effective when it is not structured. Uh, And I'm not going to dwell on the negative things or the, the, the wrong ways I think that some people pray. But I'll just ask the question, have you ever heard somebody pray out loud? And it seems like that every time they pray, they use the same format... And basically say the same things, use the same terminologies. I grew up in church and there were people who were called on to pray. 
Because it was different back in those days. It was like when it was prayer time, my dad, as the pastor, was subject to look out at the congregation and say, Brother Austin, would you stand and pray for us? Or, Brother Jimmy, would you stand and pray for us? Or, Sister Cassie, would you stand and pray for us? In other words, it was open range on who might get called on to pray. But he always had his go-tos, people who he knew were going to be comfortable with it, people who he knew could handle it. And some of those people, you could almost say what they were going to say before they said it. It always sounded the same. It had the same terminology. And I'm not going to judge at all anybody's prayer life or anybody's communication with God. It did just make me wonder a little bit about why we can't go about this thing in a different way. Is it possible to maybe exercise a little bit more liberty in our approach to talking to God? Would that be okay? Would God be okay with it? if I didn't sound the same every time I talked to him. And I can't help but believe that God would be okay with that. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure he would be quite happy about it. He might and most probably would be glad that we were interested in just digging in in some different ways and just communicating in some different ways and just based on what's going on right now and based on where I'm coming from and based on what's happening around me and based on whatever it is that I would sort of personalize that prayer to him, me to him and him to me, and it not have to be a cookie cutter type of a thing. So first thing, and if you're writing notes, write it down. As it relates to prayer, don't get bogged down in the mud and mire of religious rules and regulations. You'll be limited in your effectiveness in your prayer life if you do that. I don't want to be limited. I don't think you want to be limited. So let's just make a decision. We're not going to do that. When I was asked to teach on prayer, it generated a sort of a, a spiritual enthusiasm inside of me because what it said is at least some people around here are really interested in knowing more, going to a different place, digging deeper. And you know what? I see that from lots of people besides the person or the couple people that asked me that on Wednesday night. And there's nothing better we could be doing. Listen, we emphasize outreach. We emphasize benevolence. We emphasize blessing the poor. But if we're not coming from a platform of intense personal and corporate discipleship, we're never going to have the effectiveness in service and benevolence that we would have. It starts with me focusing in on my own relationship with God. Making sure that I'm going down every avenue, taking advantage of every opportunity to know him at deeper levels, to see new glimpses of him, to hear new words from him, to be transformed a little bit more from the inside out. And let me tell you what happens. If 
that's the priority for me, then the results that come out of service and benevolence and compassion are going to be way more and way better than anything I could ever produce just out here doing it on my own or just living some sort of shallow Christian lifestyle because then they are God results and God results are the best results and God results are permanent. So this is the proper order. Commit yourself. Dig in more. Study more. Think more. Meditate more. Pray more. Sit in more group environments where people are discussing God and His ways. Our men's group on Wednesday nights, I don't know what y'all are doing. I hope it's good. I hope it's effective. But I tell you what, I love getting together with these guys because we could be talking about sports. We, this is, these are things guys do when they get together. You know, We could be talking about sports. We could be talking about work. We could be talking about our kids and our grandkids. And sure, we do talk some about all that. And it's okay. I'm not saying any of that's wrong. But man, it just seems like that when we come together, we want to get into whatever it is the Father's wanting to say to us. We want to dig into His Word. We want to know more. We want to do more. We want to be more. We want to grow more. That's a cool thing. It's a cool thing when you walk in a room, because this literally, I mean, this past Wednesday is an example. We walked in the room and sat down, and, and there's no outline in front of us. We didn't read a book and study the questions. We didn't, and all that can, those can be effective tools. But all we did Wednesday was walk in the door, sit down at the table. Somebody said something. We started having a discussion about kingdom stuff. And it went for an hour and a half. And we didn't want to quit when we quit. And we literally did not talk about anything else. Just kingdom stuff. That's good, good, good. It's a good place to be. It's happening with our kids down here this morning on Wednesday nights during the week, during their programming. They're being discipled. They're being taught. It's happening with the youth. The, the teenage boys just got back this morning. That's why they look like eh. They've been gone away since Friday, hanging out together, fellowshipping together with good leaders who are investing in them. They're learning about the kingdom. The shine girls. I mean, these girls, some of these girls have come a long way from, from the time that they started getting together, hanging out, doing stuff, talking, sharing, and learning. And the ladies' class on Wednesday nights and, and the worship time and the discipleship time we have in here on Sundays. And then I'm hoping and praying, and I know it is happening with some of you, but it needs to happen with all of us, that personally and individually, you are sitting with the Lord. You are digging into His Word. You're biting off chunks of it. You're chewing on it. You're meditating on it. You're rolling it around. You're considering it. You're turning off the TV more than you ever did. You're turning off the radio in your car more than you ever did. You're focusing on Him more than you ever did. And it's transforming. It's from the inside out. So, rules and regulations are out the door as we start. In the Scripture, there are long prayers. There are also very short prayers. We recently took a look at one prayer. It was a five-word prayer. Who remembers what it was? What? My Lord, 
and my God. That's a prayer. It was a prayer prayed by Thomas to the Lord. You understand that anytime you're talking to the Lord, it's prayer. And that can be if we're in here in church and we have prayer time and you're actually eyes closed, however you do it, praying like that. It can also be when you're driving down the road and somebody pulls out in front of you and it's a close call and you say, sweet Jesus, help me. Right? Sometimes we say things besides that that are not prayers, but Doyle's prayer back when his son was sick. Help me, Jesus. That was his instruction, his encouragement to his son was when you don't know what to say and you're feeling horrible and things just seem really like they're not going to go the direction you would like for them to go, just say, help me, Jesus. That's prayer. You have long prayers. You have medium-length prayers. You have some very short prayers. When the Holy Spirit came to Mary and told her she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. She just prayed a one-sentence prayer. She said, Lord, I'm your servant. Let it be unto me according to your will. That's a prayer. One we'll get back to a little bit later because the will of God inside our prayers is paramount. <clears throat> there are prayers that are specific asking for specific things. There are also instructions on prayer that encourage us to ask for specific things. More on that later. There are also prayers that are very general, that are not digging down into the specifics. They're just a general crying out, a general conversation with God. There are prayers that are praise-oriented, Go to the Psalms, read the David prayers. You'll find a lot of prayers that are just praise-oriented. On the other hand, you have prayers that are request-oriented. And many of David's prayers are a combination of those two things. They include praise. They include petition. There are prayers that are passionate. There are other prayers that are very solemn, very quiet, very serious. There are prayers that are exclamatory. There are others that are inquisitive and there are those that are interrogative, asking God questions. Well, all of these prayers are okay. All of these prayers are good. All of them are necessary. All of them should happen to us at some point during our lives. Put the rules aside. Put the regulations aside. We don't have to be inside of a box to understand prayer because prayer is not inside of a box. There should be a lot of freedom, a lot of liberty, a lot of peace that is involved in our prayer lives. Our prayer lives should be without guilt, without condemnation. Now, when I was growing up, you heard me say a zillion times, we lived by two sets of rules, a set of rules of things you could not do and be a Christian, a set of rules of things you had to do and be a Christian to be a Christian, and one of the things on the have-to list was prayer. Man, what an utter ridiculous failure I was in my attempts to obey that rule. Because I didn't have a very clear understanding of what prayer was. 
What I knew is what had been modeled in front of me. And that was hard for me. So my grandparents would sit at their kitchen table in the morning times, and they would read Scripture together, and they would hold hands, and they would pray. I thought it was beautiful. But what if you and your wife don't get up at the same time every morning? What if you're just not, your life doesn't lean itself toward being able to do that? What do we do then if we're stuck inside a box that there's a particular way we ought to do it? My dad would come into his bedroom at night. He'd get down on his knees beside his bed and he would pray. So the last thing he did before he went to bed was pray. Well, I tried that a few times. Inevitably what happened to me was I would get down on my knees beside my bed. I would lean my head over on my arm and I would start praying. And about 30 to 45 minutes later, I would wake up with cramps in my legs. Because I just, I cannot do stuff like that at night. If I sit down to read at night, I'm gone. If I sit down to watch TV at night, I'm gone. If I try to pray at night, I'm gone. I beat myself up with a lot of guilt and condemnation because I thought if my dad does that, you certainly have to do that. He's a godly man. He's a prayer warrior. If he does that, that has to be one of the things that, that we do. Well, when I get stuck there and it's not working for me, then I get frustrated. I feel guilty about what I'm not doing. Bad idea. Because guess what? I realized I don't have to get on my knees at night beside my bed and pray. I just don't have to. The Bible doesn't say, Thou shalt get on thy knees beside thy bed at night and pray, or thou shalt split hell wide open. It doesn't say that. It doesn't tell us that there are specific times we have to pray. It doesn't tell us that there's a specific format that we have to use when we pray. There are all sorts of different models of prayer in the Bible. So, I might pray at night as I drift off to sleep, but I'm going to be lying on the bed where I know that I'm not going to wake up with cramps in my legs. Right? My most effective time of the day is very early in the morning. I think God's okay with me having my most effective communication time with Him very early in the morning. I don't think He cares about that in terms of holding it against me. So, all these types of prayers are good. They're, all of them are okay. So, if we could put James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, of all the places in Scripture that we can find teaching on prayer, we're going to select a couple because we can't go to all of them. We'll visit a few of them as we talk in the next couple weeks. But this one is very familiar. And if you've been in church at all throughout your life, you probably have heard this. You probably know about this. And this is one that is particularly a favorite for in church when, folk, when it's time for prayer. And you're going to pray for people who have needs. You're going to pray for people who are sick. And it says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. 
Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We love those verses because they offer hope. They give us a promise. They tell us what God is capable of. They give us pretty clear instruction on what we should do if we're in trouble or if we're sick. All of us end up at points in our lives dealing with trouble, and all of us end up at some point dealing with sickness. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it's going to. It's part of life. We have to deal with it. So to have God himself, because these scriptures, these instructions are spirit-inspired, tell us what to do when we're in those situations is a really, really good thing, and it's a really powerful thing. It, we're told that if we will pray when we're in trouble, that that's an act of obedience and God will pay attention to that prayer. We're told that if we're sick, that we should call for the elders of the church to gather around us, to anoint us with oil, to lay their hands on us, and that if we have big faith that God can heal us, we are told that our sins will be forgiven in this process of submission and prayer. Here's the part we don't deal with very often because this, these instructions in this scripture, inevitably, if you're going to examine it, if you're going to be honest with it, it's going to raise a question in your mind. It has to. If not, part of your mind's just shot out. I don't know what to tell you. What it has to raise as a question in your mind is, well, why is it then that sometimes when I'm in trouble and I pray, the trouble doesn't go away? If I'm following the instruction, why is the solution not showing up? Why is it then that sometimes when people are sick and they do call for the elders of the church, who gather around them and lay hands on them and anoint them with oil, that when they leave the room, they're still sick. Why is it that I've had a number of friends, loved ones now, who have gotten sick, and all sorts of deeply spiritual people, leaders in the faith, leaders in the kingdom have come to visit them in their homes, in hospitals, in hospice care, have anointed them, have agreed in prayer, have exercised big faith, have asked God to heal them, and they have died. It has to raise those questions. And I believe there's a two-part answer to the questions. One part is given to us right here 
And the other part we're going to find very clearly borne out in some other prayer examples in the Scripture, Jesus' own instruction on how to pray being the most prominent one. The first part of the answer, I believe, is this. It comes in the last sentence. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You could almost take that sentence and back it up and make it verse 12 before you ever start saying the rest of this. Because here's reality, y'all. God has no obligation to pay any attention to the prayers, the cries, the petitions of people who are not living out their daily lives in righteousness. God is not responsible. He's not obligated to show up in church environments during worship services when prayer time is going on and the sick are being anointed and prayed for, when you have people who are part of that body, people who are standing up in that circle, petitioning Him for what they want, but they're not sold out to righteousness. They're not paying the price of discipleship day by day. I believe there's no telling what we would see. There's no telling how fascinating the move of God would be. If you ever had a significant group of God's people that would sell themselves out to lifestyles of righteousness, and as their prayers went out of that context... God would show up. He would do works of transformation. He would do miracles of healing. He would do miracles of restoration. He would do miracles of every sort we could name. According to His will and purpose, He would answer those prayers. And the phrase I just used is the second part of the answer. And that is that we so often pray prayers based on what we want. We're not praying for God's answer, we're praying for our answer. We're begging God to give me what I want. We're petitioning God to give me what I think is best for the situation. Every prayer you see in the Bible, because it's in the Bible, sits within the context of what is God's will and purpose. What is God's heart for the situation? Is it possible that sometimes it's not in God's heart to heal someone from a physical disease? You see, we've got this mentality that it's in God's heart that every person who gets sick should be miraculously healed. God's not responsible for sickness being in this world. God doesn't declare you, you be sick and you don't, and you be sick and you don't. That's not the point. 
It's in God's heart, of course, for all of us to be healthy and well. That's the way he created us. His intention for us has never changed. But as far as the results of sin in the world, God does not step into every situation where someone is sick and say, because you asked me, I'm going to heal you. Sin and death as a result of sin, and sickness as a result of sin, and pain as a result of sin, and hardship as a result of sin, and brokenness as a result of sin, are characteristics that are in our world that are always going to be in our world, and God is not to blame for it. We're to blame for it. So anytime you get that question, well, if God loves people, why do babies die? Well if, well, if God's really compassionate, then why uh, did he not heal my mother from Alzheimer's? Faithful servant of God, loved God, prayed, went to church, blessed people, served in missions work, was a pastor's wife, evangelist's wife. Loving, caring, giving, forgiving. If God is love, if that's his daughter, why didn't he heal her? Because reality is, is that we live in a world of sin. Sin results in pain and sickness and hardship and poverty. My mother was 78 years old when she passed away. God just doesn't step in to everybody's situation and instantaneously heal just because we ask him. It has to be inside the context of his will and purpose. My father was diagnosed with cancer in late January of 2017. Stage four, already in his lungs, already in his lymph nodes, already in his brain, already in his bones. We prayed for God to miraculously heal my father. That's what we wanted. We prayed that it would be his will and purpose to do that. It was not in God's heart that my father should be healed in that way. I can, I can comfortably say that this morning. It was not in his heart. You see, I give thanks to God very frequently that he took my father when he did. Since I now know that it was not in his will and purpose to heal him instantaneously like that, then I give him thanks that he took him in three months. They, give, they gave him two to three years to live when he was diagnosed. You know what that two to three years would have been like? Since it was not in God's heart to heal him instantaneously, do you know how torturous that two to three years would have been? After a man has worked since he was 22 years old in the kingdom, blessing people, giving, loving, serving, preaching, ministering, that he would have to spend the last two to three years of his life suffering, waning away, going down to nothing, going through awful bouts with once you get tumors in your brain, what happens? The physical, the mental, the emotional torment, watching what that was going to do to his children, his grandchildren, his wife. 
Hey, was it easy? Absolutely not. But I give God thanks that He rescued my father from that. Everything has to rest inside His will and purpose. And everything, every prayer that's offered, we can only have an expectation of how God's going to respond to it based on the level of righteousness that we're living inside of. Does that mean God will never hear an unrighteous person? No, it doesn't mean that. We don't place any limitations on God in any realm, in any way, under any circumstances. God is God. He does what He wants to do. Any sinner that's drawn by the Spirit and cries out to God, He responds to them. But we as kingdom sons and daughters, we pursue righteousness and then we have the right to approach God and ask Him, bring our petitions to Him inside the context of His will and purpose. So I looked up some other versions of the Bible, some other translations that talk about the prayer of a righteous person. The Message Bible says the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. The Living Bible says the earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and wonderful results. The New American Standard Bible says the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. You can search the Scriptures up and down and you're not going to find any promise that suggests in any way that God's going to hear us, much less respond to us, if we're living lives of unrighteousness, if we've exalted our own ideas above His, if we have in any way prioritized our own agenda above what He wants to do. God has a plan. We should pray according to His plan. The word righteous means good, virtuous, ethical, moral, just, honest, uncorrupted, godly, or God-fearing. That's what it means to be righteous. There's no need playing games. When we come to God in prayer, we have to know that He's already very much aware of where we are. He's already very much aware of our level of commitment. He's very much aware of the righteousness that has been established in us. Should we not pray if we don't feel like we're in a lifestyle of righteousness? No, you should pray because that's part of the process of moving into a lifestyle of righteousness. And we ask Him, establish your mercies in me this morning, brand new. We ask Him, show me who you are so that I can have a greater understanding of that and move into it a little deeper. We ask Him to transform us a little bit more from the inside out. We ask Him that He would give us glimpses and to help us realize and discern when it's Him that's trying to show us something. All of these things lead us into deeper levels of righteousness. 
I want my prayers to be effective. I want the prayers of this house to be effective. So there's also, and we'll deal with this probably a little bit more next time. There's also a passage that we love and we love to grab a hold of because it has promises. It has promise of results. It's encouraging. It's God telling us, if you'll do things a certain way, I'll show up and respond. And it's where he talks about the person showing up at his neighbor's door in the middle of the night and knocking because a friend has stopped by and he doesn't have anything to feed his friend, so he's asking for some bread. Remember that? And the lesson that we grab out of that is if we just keep standing there pounding, our persistence will cause God to show up and give us what we want. And that's not the lesson. That's the one we love to embrace. That's the, that's the way we like to interpret it. But we need to pay particular attention to what it is that the man is asking for. He's asking for bread. And that bread aligns with the bread that Jesus talks about in the Lord's Prayer when he says, ask the Father to give you your daily bread. And it, it's not about what I want. It's not about my idea. You see, right now, there's some things going on in my world that I, you know, if I just use my intellect my logic, I may think that I know the best answer for that. Is that true with you? I may, I may believe that this has to be right. This answer has to be right. How could it not be right? Well, the reason that there's potential it might not be right is because it's my idea. <laughs> and my idea is so often dead wrong. We've had so many ideas at City of Refuge through 22 years of what's right to do now, of what's the next thing that should be done. There was a time when we decided that because we felt compelled to do vocational training, we would open up a machine shop. So... We had this employee whose father was in the machine shop business and he came over and sat around a table and told us how to do it. He said, if you'll spend $165,000 on this machine, it's an it's a electronic, um, some kind of a press where you put a sheet of metal in it and then you punch in a bunch of stuff and then it's going to cut and form whatever it is you're making into that shape and it'll spit it out and you can mass produce that and sell it and you make piles of money to support your programs and at the same time you're teaching guys this vocational skill it sounded right it sounded good why because we knew that vocational training had to be part of what we were doing so what happened was we were sold an idea by a salesman and we spent $165,000 on the machine. And we brought it in there. And we started putting our first guys in the shop. And these guys are coming out of prison. 
at 30 years old where they'd been since they were 18. <laughs> or they're coming out of drug addiction and they've been in recovery. Or they've been living up under a bridge homeless and they dropped out of, high sc they dropped out of school when they were in the eighth grade. And they're standing there looking at this monstrosity in front of them. And you could have had Albert Einstein in there trying to teach them what to do with it. It just wasn't going to lock in. Because a machine like that requires a tremendous aptitude for technology and, and particular skills that the folks we're bringing in just didn't have. So what ended up happening? We fought with this thing for about a year, losing piles of money because we're not producing anything. And I ended up selling a $165,000 piece of equipment on eBay for $100,000. That's a $65,000 loss, not to mention all the other losses that were involved with it. Totaled up to about $350,000 loss. Why? Because we had a big idea and we thought it was the right idea. We thought, how could this not work? So we learned a lesson from it. We know vocational training has to be part of what we're doing. Father, what should we do with that? How should we approach that? What should it look like? And so a, a guy shows up one day and he says, Hey, um, you ever thought about doing a culinary training program? Well, no, let's talk about it. So we talked about it and we prayed over it and we evaluated based on the lessons we had learned. And we thought, you know what? You do aptitude testing. You get the right people in the kitchen. You set the program up right. You get the right curriculum. You have the right instructor. And so we've graduated about 24 culinary classes over the past 14 years because we waited and we listened. We paid attention. We learned from our mistakes. When we hear instruction that we should ask God and we should be persistent in our asking and God will show up if we're persistent and He will answer our prayer, that answer is always going to come inside the context of His will and purpose. And if He decides to give us what we're asking for just because we keep begging, it's going to end up hurting us instead of helping us. Israel begged for a king. God said, you don't need a king. But we want a king, but you don't need a king. It's the wrong thing for you to have a king. But all these circumstances suggest we should have a king. Well, I don't care about circumstances. I'm telling you that you don't need a king. But give us a king. Give us a king. Give, okay, I'll give you a king. Here, have a king. One of the worst things ever happened to the country was to have a king. But we as human beings, we have to learn the hard way, right? We love to learn the hard way. I'm going to finish up just by challenging you, just like I challenged you a couple weeks ago to read the book of Acts. I've been encouraged to know that a few of you have done that. You need to keep doing it. Acts will teach us a lot about prayer as well. When these guys, Peter and John and others, were walking around, Philip, different ones, and they saw people who were crippled and diseased, and they, they went over and laid hands on them and prayed for them, and they were miraculously healed. We know now why that is, because these guys were living lifestyles of extreme righteousness. They were truly following after Jesus Christ. When he called them and said, come follow me, they took that seriously. And even after he had departed from them physically, they continued to follow. 
that leads into righteousness, which leads to God results. So pray this week. Dig into the book of Acts. And let's make a commitment, unless the Lord says to you this week, to pray specifically for an answer, a specific answer to a specific problem, unless you hear that from Him, I'm asking you not to pray for anything specific this week. Don't pray for anything specific. Jump outside the box and say, Father, here I am, submitted, surrendered. There are no other gods before you. And I'm asking you to do in my life this week whatever's in your heart. This situation over here, whatever's in your heart toward that, I'm asking you to do it. This problem I'm having, this sickness, this child is giving me trouble, this whatever it is. I'm asking that according to your will and purpose, you do whatever's in your heart. Quick, quick example right here. We didn't ask for kids, remember? We didn't ask for them. We said, Father, send whoever you want to send from the north, south, east, and west. And when the kids started showing up, I stepped in and said, we got to draw some lines on this. We got to make some rules. We're not prepared for this. Kids is not what we were looking for. And somebody corrected me in the hallway and said, I thought you prayed whoever they are, north, south, east, and west. Well, here they are. We didn't ask for it. We asked him to do what he had planned, and we know now this is at least part of what he had planned. Father, this has been a real practical sort of just a instructional time coming straight out of your word, inspired of your spirit. No dancing, no shouting, no excitement, no standing ovations, just down to earth, heartfelt, real stuff from you. And we thank you for it. Thank you that you're teaching us how to pray. Thank you that our prayers can be long, short, or somewhere in between. Thank you that they can be loud or they can be soft. Thank you that they can be formal or they can be informal. Thank you that they can happen in the morning, they can happen at night, they can happen in the middle of the day, and that we have the opportunity to be full of prayer all day long, just be mindful and prayerful over every situation. Thank you there's freedom and liberty and, pray and peace in this kind of prayer life. I thank you that we're going to see you do more and more results as we surrender ourselves to the truth of your word and as we live lifestyles of righteousness. So bless your people as they go with peace, power, provision, and protection. I pray that people would see our good works and glorify you because you're producing God results in our midst. In your name we pray, amen.